Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm feeling a little bit sad because uh, this is the last episode of the podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing the afterword of my book, Holy Unhappiness. And I got to say, I had I had a lot of hesitation when my publisher encouraged me to do a series of interviews like these related to the topics in my book and then publish them in the form of a podcast. I didn't know if I'd be up to the task or if I'd be able to, I don't know, manage this well. But so far, it has so exceeded my expectations. Um, I dare say it has been a blessing to me to talk with so many wise and thoughtful folks. And um, it's been a great way to, I guess, kind of debrief the process of writing the book. And even though I really only set out to create a limited release podcast, the experience has got me thinking about the future some, and I'm toying with the idea of doing a few other series in the future, maybe an Advent series or a Lent series. So don't hold me to it. We'll see what life brings my way, but stay tuned if you are interested. Now, I'll be fully honest and say that one of my hesitations in starting a podcast is that I sometimes have misgivings, I guess, about the way we as a culture are engaging in spiritual conversations these days. I worry that too much uh, we doubt, we deconstruct, we build opinions in isolation. And what I mean is we often forego that face-to-face conversation with the embodied community around us and turn instead to things like podcasts or Instagram accounts or influencers or authors, relying on these mediums to pastor us, for lack of a better word, through our hardships or difficulties And when not managed well, these mediums can sometimes serve to just confirm our biases or pre-existing perspectives. They also inherently lack that benefit that comes with the true engagement of sitting across the table with someone, the back and forth, the being seen and being known and cared for in real-time personified ways. 
But the solution, though, I'm learning is not to, I guess, like pit resources against one another, but maybe instead to just acknowledge that books and authors and podcasters can be of real and true benefit. Like, heck, I've made my living offering these resources to people, so I, I gotta name that. They can offer us windows into new perspectives and share insights we might not have access to in our own communities, but I firmly believe that that method of spiritual formation can't supplant the life-shaping act of walking alongside people in community, that we must be in intimate relationship and conversation with church families within geographic proximity to us. So in an attempt to model that balance, I want to share how much I've benefited from my own church community here in Boone, North Carolina, a church we call The Heart. So I've invited our pastoral staff to be on the podcast today for my final episode, because as much as I've loved my conversations with the authors and artists and pastors who have been on the podcast, these two guys, Ethan and Graham and their families and our church family, these are the people I am daily struggling through life with and alongside. They are the ones that let me cry with them, who <laughs> deliver meals to us when we're sick or hurting, uh, the ones who've gotten into that nitty gritty of our lives as we've wrestled with doubt and how to do ministry in America in the year of our Lord, 2023. At our church, we approach the pulpit from a team perspective. So I've had the privilege of being on the teaching team with Ethan and Graham and my mentor, Marla, and others. And we've wrestled through these concepts like blessing and lament and happiness and sadness. So I wanted to give you just a little window into what those conversations have been like. First, just a little bio on Graham and Ethan. Graham Aiken has been on staff at The Heart since 2017 after working in humanitarian aid, both stateside and overseas. He received his master's in intercultural studies from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and is passionate about the global effort to alleviate physical and spiritual poverty. As well as leading all of The Heart's outreach ministries, Graham serves on the teaching team and oversees church operations, and he lives here in Boone with his wife and two kids. Ethan Harden is an associate pastor or youth minister at heart, he says, who lives in Boone, North Carolina with his, uh, his words, formidable wife and three ferocious children. As an alum of Gordon-Conwell, he carries a deep appreciation for the global church and for biblical exegesis. He enjoys a tough trail, J.R.R. Tolkien, and a good board game. Please stick around to hear my conversation with them about happiness. This may, in fact, be my favorite conversation I've had on the podcast so far. So, Ethan, Graham, thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> Good to be here. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. fun to do this with friends. I, I want to start by just thanking both of you, um, A, for um, being my friends, and also for marrying such fabulous people who are also my very good friends. Um, but I, I also, yeah, just want to thank you um, by for just, I don't know, faithfully and kindly shepherding our church family over the last three to four years. You know, our church has faced a lot of the challenges that most churches have faced with, um, you know, pandemic, how to maintain like 
uh, church unity and community during lockdowns and then walking with people through what I think has been a season of reckoning um, in the in the American church and shepherding people through deconstruction and disappointment. And you both have been gentle and nuanced and wise. And I have just, I've really appreciated that. And it truly has been an honor to co-labor uh, with both of you. Your character and disposition has given me hope for the future of the church. So thank you for being good shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> Glory to God. Um, yeah. But but also, I do want to also thank you for processing um, so much of the content of this book with me as I was writing mm-hmm. it and for offering such great suggestions and reading, you know, portions of early draft. Both of your spouses did that for me too, Taylor and Lizzie. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I just thought today it would be cool for us to have a conversation about how we as a church family at The Heart in Boone, North Carolina, uh, are talking about the concepts of happiness and lament and blessing and expectations of what the life of faith will feel like. So um, I'll start by sharing an aphorism or one of those maxims that I've heard over and over again growing up in evangelicalism, and it's this. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. Um, so I just want to hear, I, maybe other iterations I've heard is like, God didn't God didn't give you a spouse to make you happy. He gave you a spouse to make you holy. Okay, that's another kind of iteration of it. So, yeah, I just want to know how that sentiment sits with you. Maybe Graham will start with you. How does that sentiment, God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness, how does it sit with you? There's no right or wrong answers. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. And thanks for the chance to be with you on the podcast, Amanda. Everything that you said in relation to Ethan and I is equally applicable, if not more so, to you in terms of the ways that you've <laughs> helped shepherd our church family over the last few mm-hmm. years. So thank you right back at you. Yeah. Thanks. So this whole idea of holiness and happiness, I, I think I can't read or hear a statement like that without hearing agenda behind it. Like God is more concerned with your holiness and your happiness. It feels like that often comes up in context where people are being convinced of that for one reason or another that doesn't always feel like the most helpful thing. So to me, it's it's one, and I think you wrote about this a little bit, it's one of those dichotomies that are not necessary. I think God cares both about our holiness and our happiness in different ways. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive things. I think about, um, you know, what God desires for us, and we might get into this a little bit more as we keep going with our conversation, but the things that we see in Scripture that God desires for us to grow in Christ-likeness, to walk in intimate relationship with him to know the fullness of who we were made to be created by a a creative God. As we pursue those things, I think happiness can interact with that in different ways. So happiness in and of itself is not the deliberate end goal necessarily, but I think where that dovetails with our pursuit of God and therefore our pursuit of holiness, that's something to be celebrated. So let's not create false dichotomies here. Let's hold these things together because I think God does. Right. Like, can God be concerned with both my holiness and my happiness? And that statement always made me feel like it was one or the other. What about you, Ethan? Is that something you heard growing up? Or is this maybe the first time you're hearing it? What are your reflections on it? Yes, I, I have I have heard that. Uh, I, I think the way, Graham, the way you put it with false dichotomy is like literally in my notes. <laughs> uh and one of the things I think we it's it's maybe even right there on the surface that the the biblical story actually starts in a place of happiness. Uh, the word Eden, 
uh, we leave it untranslated as a proper noun, but it, it literally means, uh, according to the uh, a couple of lexicons di- diving into it, like land of bliss or ha- literally this quote unquote happy land. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the verbal form of this uh, you can use as like luxuriate or even to live the good life. Uh, mm. th- this this word and uh, even even in a uh, maybe a slightly suggestive way this uh, this word appears in a different form idana uh, when uh, Sarah talks to Abe uh, to about about her and Abraham having pleasure the context there is sexuality so uh, the the Garden of Eden uh, maybe we should just start calling it the Garden of Pleasure God mm. began a story when our our origin story involves both our happiness and our holiness, and they're they're inseparably linked at the beginning of things. Um, so I think it's really, we got to be really careful there about what we mean by happiness. Um, mm. About if if we're if we're going to set that up, holiness, happiness. I, I think I understand the thrust of that um, because sometimes the life of following Christ is uncomfortable um, or cruciform, if you will. Following Christ is not always easy so i think that i think it's meant to convey something encouraging about the way god transforms mm. us um for the better for our better but i think to to yeah. just on the face value split those things apart is to do damage to the biblical origin story and even the end of the story so yeah we, uh, yeah maybe maybe god wants both <laughs> for us is what i would posit yeah, yeah. well yeah Let's talk then a little bit about defining happiness because I had a I had a couple mm. people say to me like, "Well, you really then just you wrote a book about contentment. It's not happiness, mm. it's contentment." Mm. And I I actually intentionally avoided using the word contentment because I've I've often same kind of deal. That word is always used like with a little bit of an agenda of like you're mm. actually really miserable, but deep down you know God is good, so just kind of suck it up and push through, you know. <laughs> and so now that's not how everyone has always used the word, but I I was just a little leery of trying to separate the true like the, the the two like happiness is where we we feel good, but contentment is where we actually feel really rotten and we're just saying everything's fine. Um, mm. So I, I I I but I am trying to really I guess I. I throughout the book tried to maybe redefine how we think of happiness. It's so often we associate happiness with achievement. Like we, we live in modern day America and like that upward progression, advancement, getting better, 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 the self-help movement, that is a feature of modernity, right? And so that I sometimes think we think of happiness like that, but maybe Ethan, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. If happiness was part of the story in the Garden of Eden, how, how maybe should we define happiness or does God want us to be happy? And what would that look like then? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's, um, oh gosh, man. Yeah. There's, there's so many things we could, we could unpack there. But one, one of the things that I see kind of consistently, if, if you're asking the question, does God want us to be happy? Um, if we could just suspend for the moment what happiness is, we'll just, just take that at face value that God does want us to be happy. I would say mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an imperative. Um, you see, uh, mm-hmm. if you just like word search, like in the, in the Bible, like Bible passages say like the rejoice, like just that word. There's mm-hmm. a couple of words in, in Hebrew that this could stem from, but one of them is simach. And, um, uh, this, this is, Really cool because it, it shows up, uh, in, in, f- uh, festival literature. It's like an instruction. Mm. Uh, okay. So what does God want? And you think of the festivals are holy days. They're days 
Uh, mm-hmm. that are tied to God's story. They often enact some part of the story of God's redemption, uh, specifically the people of Israel um, in the Exodus narrative. But you see, like in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, this like kind of the refrain of these things um, after the Feast of Tabernacles and Leviticus, rejoice. Uh, so it, it, God, God isn't just... Um, I don't know. If we could lean on that, that marriage metaphor a little bit. And you mentioned that in the aphorism about, about, uh, this, this sometimes is situated. Your spouse is there to make you holy, but not happy. Again, if, if we're going to look at the kind of marriage metaphor of our relationship with God, which is one way to, to think of the, the rescue story, uh, of God, the, uh, God, God, God isn't just content with winning over us into a joyless marriage, if you will, mm-hmm. but he wants like our whole heart. He wants our, 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 our desires to be transformed and shaped. Uh, and he, he wants to be the object of our affection and our joy. So, uh, it just real quick, this, um, this idea in Deuteronomy, uh, I, I dropped my, my, here, there we go. Okay, so uh, this is really just fun little instruction here. When the the people of Israel are supposed to bring their tithe, and they can't go to these pilgrimage festivals, which are kind of riddled with this imperative to rejoice. The, here's what he says to do: If you can't go all the way to where the place will be, which we know is ends up being Jerusalem, uh, this is Deuteronomy uh, 14. I'm going to start in verse 24. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord, because uh, the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away. Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your uh, God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, which I've heard can be translated as strong drink. So we might be talking about <laughs> liquor here. And it, it, or anything you wish, <laughs> then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord, your God, and rejoice. So uh, if you're joylessly offering your tithe, you're not actually participating in the story of God in the way that he wants your affections to be centered on. He, he, let me just, I'll put it this way. Whatever happiness is, okay, however we're going to define it. The way that God looks at it is he, he actually seeks and part of what it means to participate in the holy moment of spending time with God is to rejoice. So I, I don't know mm. if that helps clarify whatever yeah. happiness is, the way it unfolds in the story is, is uh, God wants it. He wants it. Yeah. 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 Well, Graham, what do you think when you hear that? Like that question, does God want us to be happy? Obviously he, he there's a call to rejoice, but what, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's some of the same things that, that you guys have already thrown out there. I think language often works against us in terms of trying to really get at the fullness mm-hmm. of a concept. So happiness isn't quite the fullness. Contentment isn't quite the fullness. Blessing isn't quite the fullness. But they all come together mm-hmm. in something. And I think for me, a lot of it is rooted, again, in that sense of deep belonging, that place of mm-hmm. deep belonging to God, to one another. I think there's a peace that passes understanding like the Bible talks about, that's part of that whole picture as well. And so I think even though language fails us, I think the culmination of all of those things together, a a deep rooted belonging, 
a purpose that comes from being made by God for God and, and knowing that identity and purpose and in the deep places of who we are, our emotion lining up with that, our relationships lining up with that, all of that comes together to something into something that I think really matters and to Ethan's point that I think God really cares about. And so I, I think, hmm. yeah, let's keep exploring it together because it isn't just one part of any of that. It's all of it together, but it does matter to God. And, and I think one thing that we're figuring out in more recent years and, you know, the, the, the sort of current era of, of church life together and, and walking in faith together is that emotion does matter and that we need mm-hmm. to figure out how that plays into it. It's not the only, it's not the fullness of it either, just like these other things aren't, but it does matter. So let's understand that in a deeper, richer way too. So yeah, I, I think yeah. at the end of the day, if we're talking about that full picture, then God cares about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of two things based on what you just said is that I think so much of what I was kind of trying to do in the book was kind of um, untether some of my expectations, like realizing where my expectations for happiness were tethered to these more kind of modern American expectations of happiness, which accomplishments, accumulation, um, telling an exciting, important story with my life. Um, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but Andy Crouch talks about impact fetish. I have yep. horrible impact fetish. Yep. I will not be happy unless I'm having a huge impact for Christ, which at the end of the day is sometimes so much more about me and needing to feel mm-hmm. like I belong and that I'm important rather than for, for Christ. And so that's why I just, I love what you just said, Graham, that it's like, what what if happiness is more about like Eden, like you said, Ethan, where we are named as beloved because we are bestowed with this image mm-hmm. of God. So we are mm-hmm. beloved and we belong simply by virtue of being human. And mm-hmm. what if it was about enjoying, gosh, that feels very much like Ecclesiastes to me. Ethan, you're talking about strong drink. My mother is listening to this. So <laughs> let me, you know, I'll just you know, won't go too deep into that. But like this idea of like, gosh, there's something after I've accumulated all these things, right? Mm-hmm, this is Kohelet mm-hmm. saying, I've accumulated, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, wealth and accomplishments and even wisdom, right? Like far be it for me to say wisdom doesn't matter, but he's saying mm-hmm. I've even accumulated knowledge and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you what's good. Like it's actually just so good if you can enjoy the fruit of your labor from time time to time, eat and drink, enjoy the wife of your youth, like all right. the, like just pleasure, like just the pleasures yeah. that the, the good earth have to give us simple things mm. that we can't really even earn by our own accomplishments. But gosh, just look at what hashtag blessed, like if you just search hashtag blessed on Instagram and what is it? It's like the job promotion. It's the big new house. It's the beach body selfie. It's, you know, all these things that in the end, I don't know if that's a sustainable form mm-hmm. of, of happiness. Um, you mentioned emotion sure. mattering, Graham, and I didn't send this question to you guys in advance, but I want to, I want you to, I want you to kind of pontificate on that a little bit more because I was often told in other churches too, like God gets a hold of us through the intellect and the mind and Satan gets a hold of us through the emotion. Like I was told that many times. Um, now, insofar as sometimes we can't let our emotions rule us, we need to be curious about where those emotions come from and how grounded they are. I've begun to believe that that statement, God gets a hold of us through the mind and intellect, Satan gets a hold of us through the emotion. I think that's bunk. I don't think it's true. So how do we, how do you pay, I don't know, what do you mean by that, that our emotions matter? How do we kind of operationalize that a little bit more, Graham, like as pastors and how do we let people know that their emotions actually may have something important to say in their lives? 
Yeah, no, I think you've already unpacked it really well just in, in some of those statements that you've just made. I, I think a lot of us grew up in exactly the kind of context that, that you've articulated there, whether church or family or school life, whatever it is, that, that we saw emotions as something to be kind of tamped down because that's not where the real truth lies. The real mm-hmm. truth lies are over here in yeah, wisdom, intellect, reason, whatever it is. And again, it's not to we're not trying to sort of overcorrect and go to the other extreme where emotions become the be all end all. And now this side gets tamped down, not at all, but it is bringing all of that together again in, in the fullness of who we are mm. and, and made in the image of God. And so part of it, I think, is learning how to talk about emotions in a better, more helpful way, naming those things, owning those things, being real and vulnerable enough to express those things within conversation. Again, thinking about church life in particular, but it applies beyond that as well. Mm. I think for for men in particular, like we, we need to we, we need to be able to do this in a better way and a wiser way when it comes to just being able to name some things, articulate some things, mm-hmm. be be with one another in that. So it's not emotion or emotional life and the complexity of it is not something to be afraid of. Let's move past the fear of it. Let's move into a, a yeah, just a, a clearer understanding of, of how we can view our emotion, understand our emotion, understand it as a God-given gift and how that should mm-hmm. be applied just like we do in, in these other areas as well. I, I don't think it needs to be more complicated than that necessarily. Yeah, that's good. Ethan, yeah. what about you? We both lead worship <laughs> at our church sometimes. We, we try to incorporate lament <laughs> into yeah. those worship services. Talk about this, the role that emotion, even difficult emotion, has to play in our spiritual formation. Yeah, yeah. No, you mentioned uh, navigating um, deconstruction, reconstruction, all that kind of stuff. If I'm going to take a take a page out of the the literary deconstruction movement, uh, uh, Jacques Derrida strikes again the slipperiness of language when we're <laughs> we're doing this stuff because uh, when we say happiness or when we say emotions, uh, even I think it's actually really hard to use the word love when I say God loves you. Are we even talking about the same thing? You know, that's like written on, mm-hmm. on the like shirt at Target, uh, or like the McDonald's logo or whatever. Or are we talking about yeah. like steadfast love? So I, I tend to try to go back to kind of, uh, the, the time capsule, uh, the gift of scripture is what we have these like words that, that we're interacting with that we can kind of take, peel back and take a look at what was meant by, um, by what they're saying, uh, rather than us kind of filling in the blanks. Um, but you've got the, the Shema, right? Uh, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Okay. That's an affective word. It's also a, a loyalty mm. word. It's demonstrating loyalty, but it, it's, it, it does involve your emotions, but with all your what? Your heart, which was the seat of the will, uh, uh, your soul, which was like, it, it's literally the word for neck in Hebrew. It's like mm. the stuff that animates you, um, and your strength. Where is your emotions in any of those things? Mm. Or are they in all of those things? I, mm. I, I think we so often divide the self in this kind of, uh, proto-gnostic dualist way that this, the, there's, there's this, uh, head, heart, there's body, soul, there's all this kind of like division within the self. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think, so you, you go back to lament, um, uh, th- this sounds a little bit tangential, but I hope, hope to land a plane here, but, uh, Jesus wept, uh, yeah. for, he knew Lazarus was gonna, was gonna, he's gonna raise Lazarus back from the grave, <clears throat> but Jesus chose to feel the, fullness of that of that humanity uh, of the, the the significance of that loss of his friend and he and he and he did that first before you know performing this resurrection um 
the, uh, I, there's an early church father, and I can't remember. I can't remember who. I think it's Athanasius. I'm going to get an email from him, that. and he's going to be yeah. upset that yeah. we didn't properly yeah. <laughs> cite him. And then... Yeah, it'll be in papyrus. Get it? <laughs> papyrus. Oh, man. Yeah. Get it? Oh, sorry. We Golly. did. We did. Okay. LOL. Oh, I, I just did that. I just did that. Okay, so but, um, I, he said, that which is not incarnated is not redeemed. So I, I mm. just, I think there's something about uh, responding to God with the whole self. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we assume that our emotions are somehow inevitably maligned to dis- for, for our distrust. Um, now, yeah, I, I know what people are talking about. You know, we got, uh, you know, the proverb about the heart of man, uh, you know, it's, it's deceptive or who knows its ways or all this kind of, Jeremiah uh, talks about that too. But I... Uh, I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we divide uh, these things. I'll say one more thing. There's a book I'm reading by, I think it's Gary Selby, I think is his name. And, and it's titled, um, uh, Not With Wisdom of Words. And it mm. actually uh, breaks down how emotive the rhetoric is in the New Testament. That it is not just uh, head knowledge, um, rationalization, theological treatise, but it is actually written so evocatively to produce an emotional response. So I, I don't know, may, may we not divide asunder what should be together. May we love the Lord our yeah, God with all good. of our ourselves, including our yeah. emotions, and bring that to him. Well, and I like to make the argument that we actually serve a very emotive God. Like we see God yes. throughout scripture, like yes. we see God Amen. comparing himself to a woman in labor. He's so distraught yeah. over the, you know, the injustice that he sees. We see God expressing regret. We see God yeah. expressing yeah. deep sadness, grief. Yeah. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who knew the joy set before him, still had what some people describe as a panic attack, which I find deeply wow. comforting. Wow. And so just wow. even knowing that our God has given us an example of, hey, you you can actually have a very deep emotive response to some something. Mm. And that is that actually is sometimes a sign that you are in touch with the truth of what should mm. be, you know, like mm. you, you know what should be and you're in lament, you're in grief, you're in deep sadness over what is not and what should be. So I, mm. I, I find that really Preach. comforting. Okay. So th- this is maybe the heart. Well, I don't know if it's the hardest question. It's the hardest question for me. It's the book that I, or it's the reason I almost like emailed my publisher and said, we can't publish this book because I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> like, um, I, I'm still struggling with it. I'm still wrestling with it. And I just realized like, wait, wait a second. What do, what do we do? Why do we follow Christ? Why do we see, why do we say yes to this movement that is Christianity, this thing, if it doesn't always make us feel better? Like, what is God, what does God do for us if he doesn't always make me feel better, feel better in my grief, feel better in my struggle, feel better, better in the restlessness of just being human? And I, as I started asking myself that question, I realized that most people um, submit to spiritual practices, whatever spiritual, pra- you know, people who say they're not religious, but they're spiritual, whether that's meditation or yoga or whatever they participate in. It's because, oh, well, it just gives me a serenity of spirit. It just makes me feel better. It makes me feel grounded. It makes me feel centered. I hear that a lot. Like I do this spiritual practice because it makes me feel centered. And I I just have to say, I don't always feel like life with God makes me feel centered. Sometimes it makes me feel pulled apart. (laughs) 
Sometimes mm-hmm. it makes me feel like, oh, that means I have to do something I really don't want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes it does make me feel centered. Sometimes it does give me a sense of peace, but, but it's not always consistent. So that's my question. It's like, why, why do, why do we say, what is this for? <laughs> why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are we saying yes to Jesus if it doesn't always alleviate our emotional pain? Um, I'll kick it to Graham. <laughs> No, come on. You're, no, gonna... you're, you're technically the oldest one in this podcast room right now, That's which true. means you have a slight edge on wisdom, right? I don't know. So I'll, I'll, I'll kick it to you. There's, there's no need for that throwing under the bus moment. That's fine. Yes, I turned 40 this year. You no, just it's... turned 40, so I had to do that. I did. I did. I did. It's great. Um, no, I, I feel like this question could be rephrased. What is life? So it's it's yeah. a pretty it's a pretty big one, like you're saying, but... You know, I think all of us, if you are a human on this planet, you are looking around and at some point, maybe when you turn 40, maybe before, maybe after, you're asking yourself the question, what is the point? What is going on here? What is true about my reality? All of that. And everybody takes a bit of a leap of faith in one direction or another. That's just part of what it means to be human. And so what is the point of following Jesus? Well, that that to me would be, and I can only speak from my own experience of the world and my life and all of that. But as I look around, I look at people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I look at nature and the world and space and just creation in general. I consider this story of uh, a creator, God, who made all mankind in his image, where brokenness came about and then saw fit to directly involve himself in the reconciliation and redemption of the world in a sacrificial kind of a way that feels like a pretty unique story in the world. To me, it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. story if it's true. And I think it is true. And so evaluating all of that together, what I can tangibly see and experience, what I'm told, what I can learn about from elders who have gone before me and from smarter people than I am and what I can read, not just in the Bible, that's part of it, yes, but what you can read across these, the, across history and generations, all of that. The, the cumulative effect of that to me is that I, I believe that this life with Christ actually offers something important and offers something unique mm-hmm. in the world. And so it's worth it because the way of Jesus is, is what I believe to be true, regardless of happiness or struggle or suffering or all those things that will come about on that journey at some point, it, it feels the thing that is the most true. So that that's a big part of the answer for sure. But then I, I think when if we are in this lane of happiness or comfort or whatever, I do think it's true to say that even though the struggle doesn't disappear, Christians deal with suffering as much as anybody else does. Followers of Christ deal with suffering continually. We're promised that that will happen. So it's not the removal of struggling or or pain. But I do think that there's something rich that is available to us in, in pursuing a life with Christ, whether that's experiencing the hands and feet of Christ in one another during hard times, or whether it is this supernatural element that, that I have experienced, and it's not every time, and that's what makes these things complicated, but I have experienced a supernatural element of God's comfort that is also promised to us in that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, there's, there's so much more to be said in, in that realm, but I think I, I pursue it because I think it's true. I pursue it because I think that 
if, if you accept the premise that there is a creator God and that he made me, then to be fully human is to get as close to that God as I possibly can to mm. discover more and more of why he made me in the first place and, and yeah. what was his purpose in doing that. And so to be fully human is to pursue that. So those things are all true. But then also I've experienced great comfort in fellow followers of Christ and 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 other humans as well, for sure. It doesn't have to just be in that category, but experience great comfort from the people that I walk beside and supernatural comfort from God as well. Mm-hmm. So all of those things together is, is why, yeah. why I choose to walk this way in life. Yeah, maybe a word I've used that I, I prefer maybe over contentment, although contentment will work. I just have some baggage with that term is hope. It's, I think that it's a distinction between hope and happiness. Mm-hmm. Happiness, I think, can is a little bit more about an individual feeling in the moment, this kind of spiritual euphoria that we're always after. But hope is that kind of sturdy um, looking forward to um, the new creation to come, which is good news, not just for me and my feelings, but good news for the whole world. And that, mm-hmm. yes, that's that for me, you've named it is one of the things that keeps me on the path is the hope that 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 hope that feels so sturdy what about what about you ethan what what's oh. why follow jesus <laughs> Pre- preach it preach it now that that eschatological tension you're talking about this idea that wherever this is going when we follow jesus that it is going to someplace good but we're not always going to experience that in the same way paul talks about this um you know, to the Corinthians who seem to think they've kind of gotten it all from Jesus, and he's like, "Well, you guys act like kings. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm being led behind at the end of the procession here. Like context there, like like uh, kind of picture someone at the end of the gladiator. Uh, they're 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 fodder for the for the the animals or something. Um, you know, and and he he says, I, you know, I'm refuse of the earth. You guys are kings. You know, it's this hmm. it's very, very emotive, persuasive kind of argument, but it, it, it deals with the thing you're just talking about, this hope, this tension, this space between the current pain and, and, and future unimaginable, uh, restoration of pleasure. Um, I, if I could just appeal to the, that, that anybody who's listening that you, uh, you mentioned doing like meditations or, or there's all these ways that, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the algorithms will send us stuff. Like you get interested in all these kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. These, these, uh, yeah, I've got, so I, I, I've taken up the habit of cold plunging. If, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a salesman here, but, um, I, I was no, listening I'm a, to this I'm thing. I'm a cold plunger too, Ethan. Okay. I, excellent. I, into the new river, I am a yeah, cold plunger yeah, and yeah. it does, oh, it's great. it is kind of amazing, but yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. be starting uh, a separate, a separate podcast. It's a well health and wellness podcast that I'll be starting after this one. Okay. That's okay. main take, premise. Take it, it, it doesn't need to be a movement. This is my argument. You could just jump <laughs> in a on. cold river and enjoy it. Why does it have to become cold? Okay, I'll give, give you stop the movement, so let me, Don't stop the movement. Let me, let me preach that gospel, Graham. Hold on. I, I'm trying to persuade you here in, in your very soul. Uh, the, the, <laughs> This is about so, the tenth time Ethan has tried to persuade. Just so you know, continue. But on. now it's on right. the internet. Now it will that's be. That's right. The it's internet. on the internet. The challenge is there. So uh, yeah, just to appeal to that crowd that's kind of looking for that serenity. We we often do it through our body, and I, I think this is really interesting because there's a lot of at, like athletic imagery and metaphor in mm-hmm. the scriptures about this kind of notion. You know, run well the race of perseverance. There's that the contend. There's these these language. Um, uh, th- th- this kind of athletic endurance piece. Now, I'm going to appeal to that crowd because the serenity crowd, you're probably doing something in your body to help you, and it feels like sometimes Christianity is like 
what do you what are you supposed to do? Fast is that the thing? Well, there's a documentary series on on Disney Plus. Um, if you're sponsored, that's great. If you're not, no no big deal. Um, we'll I'm just, not sponsored. Uh, for, sorry about the free endorsement there, but uh, <laughs> Chris Chris Hemsworth. They they wanted to put him through all these things to help him age. In other words, how do you experience uh, a joyful and healthy life longer? So even from the appeal of just just looking at science in your body, all of the things that he does are really hard. Period. Mm-hmm. It's fasting. It's cold plunging. It's um, climbing ropes. Uh, I don't want to do that. Um, like everything that he's doing uh, in that series, uh, from a, uh, a scientific, the way that we're built kind of thing is, hey, you put yourself through these hard things, and you will experience more joy. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna limit myself to that kind of argument for a moment. And if you think about the eschatological tension of the cold plunge, okay, let's just narrow ourselves there. It's miserable. It's miserable. You are like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? I'm having way second thoughts. Can I make it back to my car without freezing to death coming out of this river? I don't know. Uh, is, does someone know where I'm at? Because they might want to check on me because I'm turning blue or red or whatever. So, But then, uh, according to the, the research... You, the dopamine lasts way longer than crack cocaine after that. Uh, <laughs> and there's this, this intense sense of peace and pleasure, and it's good for all these different things. So wh- sometimes it feels like, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. We, we, we don't need to look far for the parallels in the material world mm. that God made this good earth, uh, that hardship uh, can produce beautiful and wonderful things and even pleasure and even look at childbirth right mm, uh, yeah. to, to use an evocative metaphor there Paul talks about that in uh, in Romans 8 that the, the creation is groaning is in pains of childbirth uh, here's my, my pitch is that the pain of the cross is an incredibly productive pain that there is an eschatological tension there is a, a delayed gratification but I, I, I believe Ultimately, that if God says this is good to, to Graham's appeal, if this is why we're here, it, I, I, it, it's ultimately a statement of trust in God. And, and some people, they don't trust the people that say, hey, cold punches are good for you. They're like, that's crazy. And, and the gospel sounds a little crazy, too. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it's a statement of trust. I know, what, I know that you know what's good for me, God. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that even when I don't understand it when it's painful because you know through the fruit of it all I, I think God has demonstrated that even in the here and now without the completion of that restoration of Edenic joy that you see in the new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem that we can experience the growth like fruit of uh, it's a fruit of the spirit joy and, and we can experience joy here and now uh, in in part. Uh, in, in in following Christ, um, so yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. my pitch. Yeah, <laughs> the cold no, I got gotcha. you, and I love you talk about the following. I think that is that imagery of the road and the following and the mm-hmm. walking mm-hmm. is the one that I mm-hmm. keep coming back to because Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He says, "You know the the the, the gate is narrow, or you know the gate is yeah. small, yeah. and the way, the road is actual narrow." I don't think he means that he's talking about who's going to get in and out of heaven. I don't think that was meant to be mm-hmm. an exclusive type of verse. Mm-hmm. What I think he means is that walking in the path of following Christ, the ethic of Christ, embodying the disposition of Christ is narrow. It is hard. Mm. It will squeeze Mm. you. It's a hard Mm. path to find. But I think when you walk on that road, I don't think it means it it leads to constant spiritual euphoria. But what Mm. I do think it means is that it creates a life that is conducive to flourishing, not just for me, but for my neighbor too. So what that Mm -hmm. means is that- 
humility, making and keeping promises, showing integrity, telling the truth, serving others, this this ethic, this way, this way of mm. being, this way of walking. I think even though, again, it doesn't always lead to material abundance or accolades even or achievement, right. but it leads to another form of happiness, which I think is human flourishing for both myself and for, for my neighbor. So, And I also mm. feel like I should give a quick disclaimer. Please do not cold plunge unless you've been given permission by a medical professional and please talk to your doctor before you go spend 10 minutes in an ice cold river but i am an advocate preventing of some lawsuits here right. yeah <laughs> i just, I just feel in. that i need to make that disclaimer okay my very last question is as we as we wrap up is just maybe maybe you could answer this a little bit more well you guys have both shared very personally today but just maybe in personal experience in your personal journey how have you, as you've grown in your walk with the Lord, um, grown? How has your understanding of blessing or happiness changed or evolved? It's a question I ask all my guests, so I'm going to ask you guys too. Graham, what would you say? Yeah, you were kind enough to fire this question our way a little bit before <laughs> we jumped on here, which I'm I'm grateful for because it takes some thinking through. Here's here's what stuck in my brain as I was reading that question, sitting with it a little bit. Blessing is not simple math. And I think we've tried to mm -hmm. make it really simple, really formulaic A plus B equals C because it's an attempt to grab for control, which we do a lot in different ways. We try mm -hmm. and make things simple so that they're understandable, so that we feel in control. And blessing just does not fall in that category neatly like so many other things. So what I mean by that is I think we just so often um, we equate blessing, however we understand that, however we're kind of defining that, we equate it with serving God rightly and doing the things we're supposed to do and all the, the right spiritual practices or the right kind of work or the right way of relating to one another, whatever it is. And if I if I do that, it will result in blessing. We, we view it that way, I think, kind of individually for ourselves. We view it that way corporately for a church or for an organization or whatever it might be. If they're doing all the right things, then, then God will bless. Mm. And I think it's become much more messy in my mind, A, because I've been part of situations where there was apparent blessing and yet there was lots of under the surface troubling kind of a things going mm. on. And so it was messy for that reason. Yeah. But it's messy on the flip side too, where really, really faithful people are not experiencing blessing. They're experiencing some kind of hardship, some kind of struggle as, as we've talked about throughout the podcast. So it doesn't work on either end of that spectrum. It doesn't work when there seems to be tons of blessing, but is the fruit of the spirit there? Is it absent? Why is it absent? There's lots of questions to ask on that mm. end. And on the other end, there's really faithful people whose lives are hard and not just hard, like, oh, let me make it through this season and come out the other end and celebrate and praise God and give a testimony in church, but hard for the duration of their life with lifelong things that do not go away necessarily. And so at, at that end of the spectrum, it gets complicated as well. So mm -hmm. your question was, what, you know, have I grown in my understanding of blessing or, or what has that journey looked like over the last few years? And for me, it's an embrace of that complexity knowing the right kind of questions to ask in any given situation, case by case, relationship by relationship, context by context, because this is not simple stuff. And let's be really careful 
to not so narrowly define blessing that it lines exactly up with sort of the American ideal and, and what we would view, you know, if my, my definition and understanding of blessing as a follower of Christ should be more nuanced potentially than just the generally given acceptance of, of blessing or good fortune in the world kind of thing. So the, yeah. there, there's that layer as well. Yeah. So it's not simple math. We need to ask one another the right questions with vulnerability and honesty and pursue God together in that place because it can. Like, can can faithful life with Christ result in blessing? Yes. Can it be on the other end? Yes. So let's let's figure out the mm. right, right way to discern case by case. That's really good. Thank you, Graham. What about, what about you, Ethan? What yeah, have you learned? You know, How have you grown? I, you know, thinking about just even that framework of happiness, I, I, I would say early on, yeah, I'm thinking of like teen years, I felt like guilty for being happy. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. if the, the holiness versus happiness message was so pervasive. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I heard that until I was an adult, but I think it was baked in to the vibe of faith life that it was yeah. solemn. You know, it was solemn, yeah. sober. Uh, and so when you felt joy, I had this little pain of guilt when I was having a good time because I felt guilty that it wasn't the right Sacred. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, now I think there is a way to actually realize I'm taking joy in the wrong thing and, and, and I want to I want to actually have a good taste for good things. But yeah, I, I, I think it's been uh, I think what stood out to me over the course of time was realizing that uh, second in the list of the fruit of the spirit is joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about Christians all the time, you know, how do you, and, and there's good reason we do this, you know, Jesus prayed, you know, you're going to be known by your love. But right next to that is joy. And I just don't know that Christians have a reputation of having this. Oh gosh, maybe, maybe I risk being flippant with my language here, but like a party presence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that we, that we should be, uh, pleasured by being in the story of God, that people be compelled by that. That what's up with you guys? What you know, uh, D- David, uh, Psalm twenty three, uh, talks about the Lord being a shepherd. I know that image gets carried on, but there's so much rich imagery in that short psalm of being guided through uh, the valley of the shadow of death, and then uh, God is preparing a feast, not not a snack, not a not a little mm-hmm. little meal, not a little survival, not a lamnus bread or something like that, but a feast in the presence of the enemies uh, that God wants you to, you know, if you picture that image and you got all these crazy things happening around you and, you, and God's like, hey, sit down and join me. Come on, let's just, let's have a feast. And it's, uh, I, there's something about the communion and fellowship with God in the middle of all this stuff that I, I think sometimes we're like, but God, don't you see these things? And we actually aren't faithful enough sometimes to sit down and rejoice with him. And I, I'm not trying to say that flippantly. I, I'm just the, the, the imagery of this, I think, is helpful for us because it is that stark sometimes. And it actually takes more faith to obediently rejoice instead of asking, uh, God, am I, am I holy enough to be happy? Uh, to say, well, he's commanded me to rejoice in him. So why do I believe God enough to take him up on that 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 uh that an act in obedience um and and even the the maybe maybe a, a closing thought there um uh, from Psalm 23 is uh this this image um so Dr. James Polig he was a Wycliffe translator uh he visited our our uh, Old Testament class or no this was a Hebrew class at Gordon Conwell and uh he gave us this little I don't know if it was published or not this little piece of paper and he 
did this little presentation and it was all about metonyms and about how different phrases or verbs in the scripture were intended to convey kind of a picture in which that verb would have been commonly used. So, uh, we got this, uh, I think it's a verb radoff, which is to, to run or pursue. And, uh, the, uh, at the end of that Psalm, it says, uh, goodness and, 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 and mercy or loving kindness. This is chesed, uh, from the Lord's name that you could say covenant love. So goodness and love uh, will follow me all the days of my life. And you get this sense. You talk about, uh, a minute ago, you talked about it's a journey. It's a path. A me- no, so let's, let's layer these metaphors on top of each other just for fun and these pictures. And, and realize that down this path, there's a parade of goodness and a parade of, of loving kindness kind of hemming in and following you. It's like a royal pr- procession. Um, if, d- do we feel flanked mm-hmm. by the goodness of God enough to trust him that no matter what we're dealing with, we can hold on to, and again, there's eschatological tension here. You know, Paul felt like he was, refuse of the earth. <laughs> he was in some pretty dark situations, but yet again, he challenges me because he's sitting in, in jail to the, and he's writing to his friends at the Philippian church. And, and sure enough, he's writing about joy. I just wonder sometimes what it takes to get us to sit at that table and feast, to bother to, uh, to hang out at the house of of Elrond, so to speak. I've got a Tolkien nerd out for just a second. Uh, in the middle of an arduous I thought we were going to make it through journey. the podcast yeah, yeah. without a Tolkien reference. <laughs> Come on, no, no. No, we uh, need it. We need it. Yeah. I thought... Okay. Uh. In, you know, in the middle of uh, coming out of uh, out of the caves of Moria, they end up in Lothlorien, and it's just this... They don't even know how long they've been there. And, you know, I, I just think that kind of uh, temporal... Uh, suspension that, that whatever's going on around us, if we could be surrounded by the, our enemies, we could, we could, if we, if we're, if we boldly just say, I want to be in the presence of God, um, and, and rejoice, I, I just think it's going to shape us. I think it's going to redefine, retrain, um, what we think is good, happy, um, because it's built in trusting God and, um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say all that flippantly. I know that there's terrible situations around the world. There's terrible tragedies. We, you, you talk about lament frequently, Amanda, and, um, it's important. Uh, none of that, none of that, uh, none of what I'm saying overrides any of the other expressions or emotions that are holy that we bring to God and mm-hmm. sit in. But I wonder if we, uh, and I, I, I would say for myself, you asked me about my personal story, uh, just, I think it took me a long time to trust God enough to say that I can, uh, that joy is actually something he wants for me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that I can be obedient in cultivating that. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think if we bother to sit with God in the presence of God, that, that he, it, it's a fruit of the spirit, meaning mm-hmm. if you don't have a, a reservoir of joy in your own, God mm-hmm. is happy to grow it in you if we abide in him. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. what I'm I'm hearing you say is I mean, you know, the human brain loves to categorize our lives like either I'm happy mm-hmm. or I'm sad. Things are either good mm-hmm. or bad. And maybe what mm-hmm. it means to live in the fullness of Christ is to be fully present in the fullness of our whole lives. And mm-hmm. I think if Christians were mm-hmm. fully present in the authenticity of our pain and our lament and if we were fully present in the authenticity of our joy and our happiness mm-hmm. and our delight, mm-hmm. that what if we brought all of that to a hurting world that's just trying to numb 
numb, that's just trying to escape, that's just trying to maybe brood. Like, what if we, what if we brought all of that to the world and said, this is all honorable before God? Uh, Mm. That, that to me would be such a compelling case for the fullness of life in Christ. Um, but well, y'all, I'm so impressed with us that we did this in 47 minutes. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we kept it, we kept it to under an hour. So I'm proud of us. Um, I was wonderful to be joined by the crows in Ethan's backyard as well. I heard them uh, calling a bit. You got um, a bird those... fight going on or something. <laughs> for those of you who are listening, we in Boone, North Carolina, often make the outdoors our office space. <laughs> so glad you're able to experience that a bit. But um, Ethan and Graham, honestly, it's just, uh, it is truly a, I'll say, blessing to call you friends. Uh, you, it is, I am hashtag blessed to call you, to call you friends. So um, thank you for what you've added to the conversation in my life and what you've added to the formation of my book and for what you've added today on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. We were happy thank to Thank you, be Amanda. <laughs> happy and blessed. It's true. Blessed. We were. Go, we're grateful for you. Now, everyone go get your doctor's permission to cold plunge. So, <laughs> all right, y'all. Or, take or just care. jump in the river. You're or on. just jump in the river. <laughs> all right, y'all. Thanks, take Amanda. care. I think this conversation has adequately summarized so much of what I was trying to convey in my book, Holy Unhappiness. I hope you see why I've so enjoyed sharing life and building a church community with Ethan and Graham. If you're ever in the Boone area, feel free to join us at the Heart Church. We meet at 10 a.m. at the high school. And I thought today... I would close out the podcast by answering the same question I've asked all my guests. As I have grown in my journey of faith and in my walk with the Lord, how has my understanding of blessing or happiness changed? But before I answer that question, and because I do think that gratefulness is part of the life of blessing, there are a few thank yous I want to say. First, thanks to my publisher, Worthy, which is an imprint of Hachette, Thanks for encouraging me to start this podcast, despite my misgivings. I am so glad I did. Worthy has been an incredible supportive publisher for both my book projects, Holy Unhappiness, and my first book, Hole in the World, Finding Hope in Rituals of of Grief and Healing. Thanks also to all my guests who so enthusiastically said yes and offered such insights, really helping me kind of round out this conversation on what it means to be happy and blessed. Thanks to my listeners. Uh, Your feedback and excitement for these conversations has far exceeded my expectations. And finally, my deepest thanks goes to my producer, my tech advisor, my editor, who happens to also be my husband, Tim. Tim Opelt is one of those guys who's pretty much good at everything he does. He knows how to fix any technical or digital issue you have, but he's super humble and nice about it. He faithfully edited and uploaded each of these episodes for me, and I am so, so grateful to him. So now for the question, how has my understanding of blessing changed or evolved? Throughout the writing of this book, Holy Unhappiness, I began to realize how much I associated blessing or happiness with achievement, accolades, and accumulation. I'm beginning to see blessings more as the simple graces, the joys that can't be earned, the delights that, as Shannon Martin so eloquently said in, I think, episode six, 
the delights that are available to us all. The beauty of the sky, the exquisite detail of the flowers, the taste of sweetness, laughter with friends. Blessing is found in the belonging that comes simply by being beloved of God, not by any effort or achievement of our own. And as my understanding of happiness has changed, so has my perception of sadness. Sadness, I now believe, is not a failure. Pain and difficult emotions are not an aberration. They are not abnormal. I know that in a world of self-help and wellness, it can feel like with just the right life hack, you can circumvent or overcome any difficult circumstance or difficult emotion. We have a lot of privileges, and that can lead to the illusion that we have a lot of control. But we don't. We don't have full control. Life is still hard. Relationships are challenging. Being human is really, really painful sometimes. Your sadness, your difficulty is not a failure. Moreover, for my listeners who call themselves Christian, I would say that sadness is not always a sign of a poorly formed theology. It's part of being human in a perilous world. Lament is not a secondary form of worship. It is a primary means for connecting with and standing in agreement with a God who longs for redemption and justice as much as you do. I believe now that difficult emotions, if we give them space, if we bring them out to the light, can be a gift to us. I believe they can be holy. In scripture, the word holiness means set aside for a sacred purpose. If we are curious about even our most difficult feelings, our grief, our anger, our uncertainties, and even our doubts, we may find a sacred purpose there. And so with that, I'd like to close with a poem by Malcolm Geith. This is a sonnet for St. Thomas the Apostle. Yes. Uh, doubting Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, who was grief-stricken, traumatized, panicked, uncertain. Here's the poem by Malcolm Guide. We do not know. How can we know the way? Courageous master of the awkward question, you spoke the words the others dared not say and cut through their evasion and abstraction. Oh, doubting Thomas, Father of my faith, you put your finger on the nub of things. We cannot love some disembodied wraith, but flesh and blood must be our king of kings. Your teaching is to touch, embrace, anoint, feel after him, and find him in the flesh, because he loved your awkward counterpoint. The word has heard and granted you your wish. Oh, place my hands with yours. Help me divine the wounded God whose wounds are healing mine.